Welcome to the Culture Coordinator Podcast, episode 012. I'm your host and founder of the Culture Coordinator, Kurt Earl. Today I'm with Chris Four, who has done a lot of things. He's coached, he's been an athletic director, he's been a teacher. He's also a bit of a special teams guru that you might know him for his shield punt and some other things he does there, and his eight laces business where he helps us apply for jobs and get the jobs we want. You guys are gonna love it. Coach Four, welcome to the Culture Coordinator Podcast, and just uh, really excited to have you on today. You've got a lot of experience doing a lot of different things, and I think you're going to have a lot of good insights for all of us uh, regarding building a culture, um, casting our vision for our culture, maybe even in the job hiring and uh, process as we try to get a new job, if that's something, uh, if that's a phase of our life that we're in right now, all those sorts of things. So just thank you very much for your time, and, and uh, looking forward to hearing what you have to say today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I think you got a cool thing going here with this idea to share with coaches. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, Coach Earl. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And, and uh, it's gotten a lot of good feedback so far, and it's uh, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes work, but we'll get these out and, and uh, get them shared with people as soon as we can. So I guess I just wanted to start with um, one of your favorite coaching memories because – just reading about it, there's some interesting things that uh, can only happen if you live on the coast. <laughs> that, that's one part yeah, of it. Yeah. And then just it, it was clearly a big a big deal to you and, and for a lot of reasons that go go beyond the scoreboard. But tell me a little bit about your big win at Avalon. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, Avalon, yeah, 2010. Yeah, it was a special game, definitely one of the highlights in, in my career. Uh Avalon is a well. Catalina is an island off of uh, Southern California. Here, it's oh, I think about an hour and fifteen minute or so boat ride from like Long Long Beach or Dana Point, and so and yeah, they have a high school out there called Avalon High School. So you have to drive to the coast because you're about oh whatever ninety minutes inland or something like that, right? Yeah, at the time, in, in 2010, I was five minutes from the coast. Oh, okay, but, so you had to drive yeah, do, drive but, to the dock and yeah, reload. There are, there are, there are, yeah, and there are some schools who <laughs> they'll drive three hours to the coast yeah. and then get hop on a boat, yep. Hard to imagine coaching in Nebraska, but I get it. Like It's just funny that you'd have to yeah. unload and reload and go through that whole process. So, okay, so go ahead. Go with your story. Yeah, so it is. It is a long process. The, the planning took a long time. Because I had never been out there to play these guys before. We had switched leagues. And what happened was I did a lot of research because these guys, I think it was either seven or eight years in a row, they had not lost a league game, a game in our league. They, hadn't, they, they were league champs for like seven or eight years it running. And, and then the non-league games, they only lost maybe five in like eight years out on the island. They they just did not lose out there. Wow. So I talked to a lot of different coaches, you know, head coaches who took their teams out there. And, you know, what happened, a lot of guys would, would go out there, ride the boat out there on Friday morning and then play at like 3 o'clock and then try to ride a boat back that night. Well, that seemed to really wear down kids. You know, you're standing on this boat a lot of times. They, they – 
coaches talked about them, you know, losing their legs and just being exhausted by halftime. And then the flip side was you'd, you'd go out there, spend the night out there Friday night, obviously the financial impact of that. Yep. Uh, but going out, spend the night Friday, then play Saturday. But uh, they're pretty those those folks out there on that island are pretty loyal to their their team, and so they try to keep teams up all night. Wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, <laughs> so it was it was really interesting. But uh, yeah, we we ended up staying out out there overnight, and and uh, just kind of put my assistant coaches on on security detail outside of the hotel because what happens is a lot of the junior high kids in town they know that a football team's staying there so they'll go throw like these mud clods and little pebbles at the windows and yeah and just give your kids all kinds of grief so wow yeah i guess i I had never thought about some of those details there that might come up so tough place to play but you came away with a win right coach we did yeah we 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 came away with a win uh beat those guys 20 24 to 22 and uh it was just a, a very exciting day. We really one of the biggest lessons for me at the time too was just preparing your team mentally. You know, we we knew that we had a pretty good team going into that year, mm-hmm. and that Avalon, you know, they had a good team. That it, it would probably come down to that game for league championship, and we wanted our kids not to be. They beat us by like forty points the year before. Wow. I mean, they 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 yeah they beat the junk out of us. Uh, but we wanted our kids to be mentally tough, and so that was kind of our our phrase and and what we focused on all summer and, and in the early part of the season was, you know, just being mentally strong and and we we defined that for the kids and and we, you know, kept coming back to it at at a lot of practices and and to be honest with you, that's really what ended up you know winning the game for us was was not the X's and O's, although we, we put in some good new stuff that week they had never seen. But it, it really was our our mental toughness of our kids just buying in that, you know, we could give a rip about their winning streak and their championship streak. But this really was about us, not them, you know, coming together. So it was, it was a great, great game. Yeah, that's awesome. I can see why it's one of your favorite, favorite memories. A lot of things going on there that make it pretty unique and special. You mentioned – that you tried to define what it looked like to be mentally tough. Do you remember some of the things that you put out there as a definition? Yeah, you know, one of the things with with mental toughness that I loved it was a quote I found from some uh, you know from some doctors, uh, you know, guys who had been studying this stuff and and writing a whole lot about mental toughness and and researching in and all that. But one of the the absolute favorite parts of that quote that I really liked was that you're going to be basically, you're going to be better longer than your opponent. You're going to be stronger mentally for a longer period of time than your opponent. Hmm. And so, you know, a football game's long and a football game has a lot of ups and downs and, you know, but, but that's what we, we really focused on was that you can cope better than your opponent with the many demands that are placed on you and and be better than your opponent for a longer period of time and so uh that's basically what we focused on you know we we would have maybe a bad practice and we said hey we we were not mentally tough today you know we 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 were not better than our our opponent which today was fatigue and you know fatigue won so what can we do a little better tomorrow Hmm. 
good. I like that. You know, I uh, this week and or this year in week two, we play a team that beat us, but I think it was forty to nothing, kind of like you're talking about. And mm. we we only had four seniors, and we return a great group. And and if we can be healthy, I think we've got a chance to be very good. But but like you said, some of it for us in that game is going to be just the mental side of approaching the game with the belief that we can make up that difference, that things have changed enough in our culture, in our talent levels, et cetera, that, that we can win that thing. And it sounds like you did a great job with that going into this really unique game where you got to ride a boat and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as this is a focus on culture, you know, one, one of the issues that, that I really learned again that year that, you know, maybe some coaches can learn from is – we, we had a, a team that in 09, that year before, that just they weren't very together. The chemistry wasn't mm-hmm. very good. And to be very honest with you, it all kind of revolved about around one kid. And he was the best kid on our football team. He was the, the, the fastest kid. We kind of ran our offense through him. Uh, and he had great hands. He caught everything. He, he did really special things with the football but uh, he caused a lot of decisiveness in our football program. And I, I run a player committee where we, you know, the, the kids vote in uh, kind of like captains. We work with this player committee year-round. And, and uh, he wasn't on it as a junior, but then his senior year, 2010, he, he, he got voted onto that. You know, it's, it's kind of a popularity contest. I let the kids do that. But then we, we really train and teach these kids how to be real leaders, not just popular. Right. And and we have very strict guidelines for that player committee because that's part of teaching them leadership, accountability, culture. And he he was late to our first two meetings uh, that off season for the player committee. And 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 that was part of our regulations was, you know, if if you're late twice, you're you're out, you're done. And so uh, we removed him from the player committee. Uh, He thought, you know, he was too good for that you're not going to remove me from the player committee. So I'll just quit the football program. So he did that. And it was like a lot of drama for a month. You know, is this kid going to quit or not? Is he going to come back? And, and I just set sail, you know, and I talked to our kids about that. We're moving forward without this kid. Hmm. And I'm not going to put up with the drama with, you know, him telling everyone he's going to quit. He's told me he's quit. I'm done, you know, and I'm not going to chase a kid around, you know, like this. And, we knew we would lose a little bit on the field talent-wise, but what we lost a little on the field talent-wise, our, our team grew so much. We, we became so close that year, and the team chemistry was just a whole new ball game without that kid playing, you mm. know. And, uh, and again, I just it, – it, because he's one of those kids where you would try to teach our team something – uh, and he'd be in the locker room making fun of it or, you know, a little jeering, you know, behind the scenes, uh, poking fun. And, ah, we really can't do that. Or, you really think we're going to go beat these guys? So I'm pretty convinced that that kid ends up playing that, you know, we, we don't go out and win a close 24 to 22 game. It it took every kid we had dressed, you know, that day to, to help win that game. And so I, I think that's a good lesson for everybody because, let's see, that was in my, I think, seventh year of being a head coach and I know my first couple of years of being a head coach I probably would have well I, I know I would have you know gone out and kind of tried to keep this kid around and yeah at the end of the day we were a lot better team without him that yeah and actually coach that's I wrote down here how do you strike the balance between chasing a kid and and 
keeping him in football because you think it's what's best for him. And, and, and actually, as an individual, it probably would have been best for him to stay in your program. I don't know. I'm assuming. I would think that about my own program. But, but how do you strike this balance between chasing a kid and keeping him out because he, he needs that encouragement versus it's time to cut the reins? Do you, I mean, what insights might you have there? Yeah, it's it's very difficult to do. I I think one of the I think one of the things you have to do for the culture of your program there is you've got to set up those non-negotiables and then, you know, what what is important to us as a program. And then if the kid fails to meet those non-negotiables, if you go decide to chase that kid down, then then what you've set up as a program as a culture as a non-negotiable is really not non-negotiable. Right. It, now you're telling the kids that they can negotiate it. So, for instance, I've I've had uh, shoot, I've only had six or seven Division One kids, you know, in, in 16 years of coaching. Yep. And uh, the the first one I ever had, he missed almost his entire junior season that summer, and so we removed him from the program. He didn't play his junior year. Wow. Because he had too many absences, you know, mm-hmm. and those abs- the absence rate was set by our player committee. That wasn't set by the coaching staff. Our player committee said, hey, we want to see you here for 85% of our summer. And so if you're not here for 85% of the summer, you're not going to play. Well, this kid was there for like 35% of the summer. Uh, we called him, told him he was removed from the team. He showed up the first day of training camp. He was a kicker and a wide receiver. He shows up the first day at training camp, came out and said, hey, I heard you guys are looking for a kicker. And I said, no, we're not. We, we, we're we good. We're set. And he laughed. And I said, no, we're, we're good. And you're not playing. Uh, and so he walked away, and he didn't play that year. His senior year, he didn't miss one practice the wow. entire spring and summer and then ended up earning a scholarship to uh, to kick Division One football and kick for uh, – you know, ended up playing in a, a, a BCS bowl. So, uh, you know, I, I think that wh- where's the balance there? Well, we taught that kid because a lot of these athletes who have an attitude like that, just like the one I referred to in 09, these kids grow up as the best player on their team. Yeah. And all these coaches bend backwards for them and they allow them to run the program roughshod and do whatever they want. Well, what is that teaching the kid about? real life right right and so these both these kids you know they came to a point where it's like wow these guys are serious you know so we wanted to teach these kids life lessons not only football lessons and i think both of them i'm not i think i know that both of them grew a whole lot from from not playing a football a, a season of football right and uh both of them came out much better on the other side and then our team also came out much better on the other side. So I've also seen kids not come out, you know, better on the other side of things where, you know, a kid maybe I'm thinking of right off the bat, you know, he, he got removed from our program for and our school for drug use. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, this kid needs football and the structure and father figures in his life more than a whole lot of other kids. And I, I kind of fought to try to keep him in our football program because – I, I knew that he needed, you know, our structure in his life to help him. But, you know, he obviously broke some serious rules with the school. So so they, they did get rid of him. And, you know, to be honest, it's like 10 years later, he's not doing any better now. So mm-hmm. it is a very tough balance, I think, sometimes. But like I said, I think one thing that helped me develop over the years was 
we're going to set up these non-negotiable yep. rules that are a part of our program and and a part of our culture. Here's the type of kid we want, and and here's the expectations we have for attendance and 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 if you're not going to you know live up to those, then then you're not going to play. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. As it, as I was listening, it it just was running in my head was what are some of the things that I really want to make non-negotiable and that's it's different for uh, every coach in every state you know here in Nebraska the offseason what you can require in the offseason is basically nothing Um, you can you can Mm. certainly set a tone but but you can't say because you didn't do these things in the spring and summer you're not allowed to come out but there are other ways to set non-negotiables and some of those kind of things especially with uh, the leadership aspect you can say if you're not coming to uh, certain meetings or whatever, uh, then you, you, you won't be eligible for leadership roles. I, I do believe you can do those kind of things. So uh, that, that's important to recognize that we've all got different scenarios, but at the same time, um, we can all set up non-negotiables. And when those things get broken, they, they need to remain non-negotiable, like you said. Otherwise, you're just negotiating. And so that's that's really good. I appreciate that. Um, Absolutely. Let's transition a little bit into some of your playing experiences, Coach, and, and you went through a very tragic thing uh, as a young man, and I think you said between your sophomore and junior year, and you were in a car accident that ultimately ended your football career, but but it also took uh, your good friend's life, and I guess just tell us a little bit about that accident, and um, and then what what kept you in football after that? How did you get, how did you continue to stay involved in the game? Yeah, so between my, as you said, between my sophomore and junior year, it, it was summer and uh my friend justin we became very good friends in seventh grade uh he had just moved into town seventh grade year we we lived in a small town about forty thousand people here in southern california and uh the athletes especially became you know pretty tight yeah uh you know so i, I met him playing baseball and then had him in a couple classes junior high so we became great friends uh and he got his license on july 8th uh and, you know, right in the middle of summer and at about nine in the morning and and literally 12 hours later, uh, he was dead as, mm-hmm. as a 16 year old. Um, we we're actually on our way home from a Bible study, oh. a church youth group Bible study. Uh, the church was two miles from my house and probably a mile and one probably one point seven five, a mile and three quarters of that two miles is a long straightaway. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it is, how it was for you, but <laughs> growing up, you know, as a teenager, you get your license. Yep. I mean, us boys, us men, we, we drive fast, you know, and that's yep. how you prove something, I guess. Yep. And so he starts driving. We're in his parents' Ford Explorer, and uh, he starts going down this long straightaway, and he's looking at me, man, this thing can go. And I said, yeah, I can't go as fast as mine. Let's go, you know? (laughs) And so he's, he's going faster and, and we start going up this hill. And I, I knew that, uh, my, my road was on the, on the other side of that hill. And so I told him to slow down because we're going pretty quick over this hill. We're not gonna be able to stop, you know, to, to make the turn. And then all of a sudden this car on the other side of that hill, this car was pulling out Mm. about a 45 year old man going to get his wife and kids some milk for the next morning. And, uh, as this car pulled out right in our way, as we're coming over the hill, uh, Justin lost control of the vehicle and we swerved, uh, basically four times and then right into a telephone pole. So we hit a telephone pole, the, the California highway patrol 
you know, they do their tests and all that on skid marks, and they said that we hit this pole doing about 60 miles an hour. Uh. And and they think that he may have gotten the brake and the accelerator, the gas and the brake mixed up is what they kind of think because there were skid marks at the top of the hill, but then accelerated and then hit the brakes right before that pole. So, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he, he was killed, you know, right as soon as we hit that pole, the the way the vehicle hit that pole, he took most of the most of the impact. Uh, firefighters, paramedics, police—they they got there four minutes after the accident, and and he was already dead. So, uh, I was sitting in the back seat, and my uh, good friend of mine was sitting in the front seat. My the the middle console of the of the Ford Explorer, the middle console basically. Uh, was fo- pushed back into my left leg, and then my left leg went kind of under me, under that bench seat mm-hmm. that I was sitting on, backwards. So I broke uh, every bone in my left leg, the femur, the tib-fib, uh, every bone in the foot was either crushed or, or snapped in half. And so long story short, I spent about 25 days in the hospital wow. and had seven surgeries over over two years uh they told my my mom that night that they might have to uh you know remove my amputate my leg from my knee down it was just so many injuries so in fact here i am uh you know however many years later this is 23 24 years later and i've got a boot on that left foot today because i'm having some ankle issues right now so uh but yeah that my my junior season i was in a wheelchair for most of my junior year in high school i'm sorry most of the junior season football season in the fall i was in a wheelchair and then i transitioned to like an old man walker and then to uh and then to crutches so my senior year you know i came out tried to come out for football again after a lot of rehab i had first two doctors i went to said no don't do it <laughs> you shouldn't play. Yeah, I didn't like those answers. Yeah, right, the third and <laughs> and uh, you know he was our team doctor, and he said, "Yeah, give it a shot." And my very first day at spring football, uh, the very first, I was a lineman. We would go down to do bag drills, and the very second bag I stepped over, uh, my foot just wasn't ready. I rebroke two of those uh, mm. bones in my foot, and I was. That's when I was. I was done. So I was, yeah, I was done with football. I only played two years in high school, but what happened was I knew our offensive line very well. I was pretty close to our freshman offensive coach, our freshman head coach. And then, uh, you know, I grew up idolizing our head coach at the high school in this small town. And, and, you know, then I got to go play in his program, play for him. Uh, I got to know him pretty well. He was our athletic director and I, I did uh, teachers, you know, TA, I TA'd for him. And, uh, again, kind of got to know him a little bit. He was a mentor of mine. And so he and the freshman head coach talked and asked me to stick with the program and coach freshman football that year as a senior. So that's when my, my coaching career started. Okay. Yeah. Good. That, that That's amazing, you know, just the way that all comes together and you get a chance to still be a part of it. And, uh and get get into the coaching and and what a what a tragic story but also a good reminder for us as coaches uh just how quickly 
uh, things can change for one of our players and, and to keep that in mind. And like you said, Coach, uh, I certainly did those same things. We all probably did those same things. A very small percentage of us didn't do some of those things. And, and uh, you know, it's a good reminder that life and death is in the balance all the time. And, and we've got to remember that as we work with these kids. And, and, and it flows kind of ironically off of when is it time to make sure a kid stays on the team versus when is it time to let him go. And those decisions are tough because they're not life or death, but you don't know how long you're going to get with a kid. And so uh, just a lot of yeah. really great things to start off with. And I appreciate all that. And um, yeah, just great, great stuff to learn already. So there's no good transitions from a story like that, coach. Uh, thanks for sharing. And, uh, and, and I hope <laughs> yeah. that uh, I hope it's a good reminder, like I said, but let, let's transition to some different things and, and talk about some of the other things you're doing. <clears throat> I think the way I first came across you was with your eight laces business and some of the things you're doing in terms of um, advising, mentoring, um, consulting, so to speak, in terms, especially uh, I connected to you because of your work with two things really, I guess, but uh, helping people put together uh, uh, portfolios, resumes, et cetera, for the, for the job application and interviewing and hiring process. And then with your special team stuff as well. So why don't you just take a little bit minute, a minute to talk about some of your eight laces stuff, and then uh, we can dig into some of those things as well. Yeah. You know, I, I love special teams. I became a special teams coordinator, my back in the nineties in my second year coaching. I, I coached freshman that year. And then I coached uh, JV, and I became, you know, no one was overseeing our special team. So the head coach asked me if I would do that. And so uh, I was a JV special teams coordinator. And then I, I took some time off from coaching, went to college. And, uh, and then when I came back, my first year back, I just, I love special teams so much. And I asked the head coach I went to work for, you know, if anybody was overseeing that and and he said, no, you know, we all just kind of each take one, but yeah, if you want to. So I've been a, a special teams coordinator basically since 2001. Uh, every single year I've coached football yeah. uh, and then one year in there in the late 90s. So a long time uh, I've done it. Just got a job here at a junior college. The head football coach there asked me to come over and, and be their special teams coordinator. I'm looking forward to making that transition to junior college to see what that's all about out here in Southern California. But, but, uh, I, I do, I just love, uh, being able to really get great advantages on the playing field through special teams. And, you know, one thing I noticed just in the coaching world is that there's, there's not a lot, there's so much out there for offense and defense. There's not a lot in the world of special teams, and so as I just, you know, started tweeting or writing articles about it on my website, you know, I had a lot of guys asking for different resources for special teams. So I did put together a couple different resources I have on my website on eight laces. Yep. Uh, one is a kick and punt returns manual. And then one is a shield punt manual. I've, I've been running the shield punt since uh, 2001 I, I, or 2002. I tell people I've been running that thing since before before it was cool, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's been really interesting to to uh watch the shield punt over the last 15 years because it's uh it's literally gone from I, I read an article at a clinic. Uh I read an article at night in a in a clinic hotel room and the, and the title was Dare to be Different and it talked about this shield punt idea. And I've, I'm always kind of a contrarian, and I said, man, this is awesome. I've no, never seen this. 
And now you, you look and you see so many teams at the high school and college level, you know, that are using the shield punt. So I'm a real big believer, proponent in that. And I've, I've helped a lot of, a lot of schools, high school and college level, uh, put that in. So I do have some special teams resources on there. And then, as you said, I, I kind of got into uh, consulting coaches on their job search process about four years ago, and and that's something I just uh, I really love. I'm very passionate about as well because uh, you know, again, there, there's you can go to clinics, you can learn how to teach an RPO, you can learn how to you know teach kickers how to kick a football, but we the business really has never done a very good job of, of teaching coaches how to represent themselves on paper and, and how to progress, how to get a job and, and how to interview. And, you know, we, you don't see any of this stuff at clinics. And so I think it's a, a real big need to, to assist coaches, you know, in their professional career development. And so that's something I, I've really uh, enjoyed doing as well. And so, Again, that's at eight laces e i g h t l a c e s dot org. Yeah, and it's good stuff. We've got your shield pump manual and and used it this year, and it, it worked well for us. And uh, we're still learning a lot because it was our first year and and growing in that. But that that was a good resource for us. And and like uh, I think I told you before we started before we hit record, I did one of your webinars last year as I was applying for a job at a place where I had been a successful coordinator for ten years, and. Uh, it, you know, just trying to figure out how do I communicate what is unique and special about what I want to do as the head coach and what I think this program can be. And one of the things, like you said, that was interesting is that none of the the, the hopefully strong knowledge of X's and O's I had built up. I say I hope that they're strong because uh, you never know. But I mean, we we'd had success, and that none of that really mattered all of a sudden. That you know, that wasn't that yep. wasn't what that that was going to be put on display and evaluated in the interview process. And, and I was naturally uh, someone in line, so to speak, sort for the job, but still very much had to earn it and had to make sure that they understood I had a bigger perspective than just how to do a few things on offense in terms of X's and O's. So what are some clues, you know, some things that you might tell a coach, just some quick tips about how they can clearly communicate their vision for the program throughout that hiring process? What are just some basic things? And I know you've got some very specific things and I would encourage people to connect to you, but just basic stuff. I'd say, you know, one of the most basic things, because I've been an athletic director here in Southern California for six years. Yeah. And one of the most basic things is for you to absolutely study that program back and forth, like the back of your hand. I mean, you should know everything you can about a football program you're going to interview for. Yeah. Obviously good. it's going to give you an upper hand if, if you've been there, if you've been on staff. Right. But <laughs> I have guys come in. Well, I was just going to say, ahead. when you said that in, in the webinar, I was like, okay, good. I'm in good shape. <laughs> I've been here 10 years. Yeah. And yeah I, but I yeah. needed to organize those thoughts still though. I, I, I needed to make exactly, sure I had a yeah. good, I thought through it. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I, you know, we have guys come in to interview for jobs and it's like, they're phenomenal on paper. They came highly recommended. I talked to guys who spoke highly of them and then they came in an interview room and they don't know a thing about our program. They don't know maybe why, for instance, a basketball coach, they have no idea why basketball team has struggled. You know, obviously if you're replacing a head coach, there's a reason for it, you know, and it's usually because, Either a guy's been promoted because your program's in great shape 
or the program's not in very good shape, and so you're needing to find somebody new. Right. Those are usually the two reasons you're hiring a head coach. And so for a coach to come in and just have absolutely no idea what your culture's like or, you know, what the – I've asked guys before in interviews as an AD interviewing a head coach, do you know what the record of our team was last year? They have absolutely no clue. I mean, Oof. that's just yeah. – so that, that's one of the most general, most basic things you can do. I, I share a story on – you know, before I, I went to interview for an athletic director job, and I was able to recite to these guys every, all their major sports, you know, win percentages over the last five years. And, and, and one of the issues was because that also helps me to develop the vision that I want to give these guys for moving the program forward. Right. And one of the questions they asked me was, you know, how, how, what do you know about our program here? And so I started rattling off. Uh, you know, the win percentages. And I came to girls softball. They had only won 32% of their games in the last five years. Hmm. And so I noticed that they had a different coach each of those five years. So they had five different head coaches over five years, 32 win percentage. percentage. And so I asked them, why, why has there been such a turnover there? And one of the board members, there were seven people on the interview panel, one of the board members stopped me and said, wait a minute, we've only won 32% of our softball games in five years? I said, yes, sir, you won 32% of your games over the course of the last five years. You've had five different head coaches. And he, he looked at the principal and said, that is totally unacceptable. What's going on? Wow. And why didn't I know, th- why didn't I know this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, uh, so, so I know because afterwards he told me when I said that and I explained how it was going to help to transition out of that bad culture, Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me that's when he made a decision. I'm the guy, you know. Wow. So he he was so impressed. As were some other people in that room that that I took the time to get to know them. You know, I took the time to get to and I rattle off the names of some of their head coaches. You know, and so and so getting to know a program uh, in that fashion tells the interviewers that you are serious, and then again it gives you an opportunity to say, Hey, here's where you've been. Here's where I want to take you. Here's how I'm going to take you there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, being able to, again, just get to know that program as well as you can. And, you know, I had a guy once apply for, uh, I had an awful season. If you coach long enough, you're, if you're a head coach long enough, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some terrible seasons. (laughs) And we had an, we had an Owen 10 season. It was a perfect storm. I mean, that's a long story of of that season, but, uh, I had a guy send me as the athletic director, send me his whole packet and portfolio and resume and reference letters. And he said, you know, dear Mr. Four, I'm sure you're going to be replacing your head coach after this tumultuous season you've just had, blah, 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 blah. And I'm the head coach. Yeah, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was the athletic director <laughs> head coach. And this this Yahoo did not even do one ounce oh, of research to see who the head coach is going to be. He literally so, went to the, to, the, to the records wherever they're listed and just emailed randomly at schools. Yep. Yes. Wow. Yep, that's wow. it. Well, he put a whole package together and mailed it to me. You know, this was like oh, yeah. 10 years ago. Sure, sure. But uh, I Goodness. took it to my boss, and, you know, my, my boss was great. He understood why we had the season we did, and and uh, we, we were both laughing. So I said, hey, let's call this guy right now. You know, let's have some fun. you got, you got to laugh every now and then. So we put on speakerphone, called him, and I just I said, you know, hey, thanks for packing. There was some impressive stuff in there. There really was. 
So I, I said, you know, thank you for that sending me that. And you've got an impressive, uh, you know, packet you put together. And I said, do you have any clue who the head football coach is here? And he said, oh, I don't have a clue. Are you guys replacing him? And I said, sir, the athletic director is also the head football coach. And he goes, oh. And it was like just <laughs> dead silence on the other end of the line. I think he learned a good lesson that day too. You know, I mean, yeah. you just want to do everything you can to get to know that place. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that too. Even in my short time, I've, I've sat down with some people who've um, emailed me briefly as the head football coach wanting to maybe be an assistant. Maybe they're coaching somewhere else in town. And, and the e- their initial email was like, I really like what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But when we actually sat down and chatted a bit, just a chance to get to know each other some, looking towards maybe getting them as an assistant coach, it was clear they'd sent that email to every school in town. And we're not a huge town. You know, we got 250,000 people. Oh, but, yeah. but between public and private, there's several places you can contact. And I realized they had no particular interest in what we were doing and what was unique about us. Um, they were just they were just looking to move up a little bit. And the other thing that's interesting, yeah. Coach, and you alluded to this, was that particular young young man who, I mean, I'm not old, but he was younger than I am. Uh, he, uh, he, you could tell, he did not have a vision for where he wanted to go as a coach. He just wanted to move up because that's what you're supposed to do, you know. And and that was really yeah. interesting to me as well that there wasn't a here's what I'd like to do. This is what I'm excited about within the game of football, and this is this is. You know, maybe being with you guys is the next good step for me, and I can and and be a big key part of what you guys are doing. And there was none of that, you know. So it's very interesting. So that that happens a lot, I think, especially with with the younger. You know, I'm yep. I'm not that old. I'm I'm 42, but I, I I definitely see that in the younger generation. There's just this this idea now. You know, I think out there among coaches, it's like you know, I had a talk just just yesterday with a coach who told me he's so frustrated he can't land a varsity job but what's he doing wrong and i mean he, he's coached one year of uh jv football yeah. you know and and he's frustrated he can't get a varsity job and it's like you, you just like you said you got to have some vision not just you know hop around to hop around and move up a ladder but but really learn you know and and that's that's one of the frustrations too as i talk to head coaches these days is there are so many younger assistant coaches who they they don't want to put the time in and, and do what a lot of us, I guess, older guys did, you know, back in the day, labeling film, you know, something as simple as that. But a lot of the younger guys just, they, they don't want to do what it takes to become a, a great assistant, which leads you to being, you know, a head coach. Right, exactly. And I think, uh, I'm really fortunate. I've got some really young guys at 35 years old. I'm the old man on staff, which is dangerous, but we're, we're making it so far. But uh, they, they are working really hard and they want to do, they understand that it's a process and a journey. And I think some of that is because they were on our team when me and some of the other assistants who were young were just getting our start. And I think they saw and recognized even as players how much time it Absolutely. took to really do it well. And they just understand that that's what you're going to do. And, and so um, it's, that's been really, really good and, and, and helpful for me that they've had that work ethic. I guess, you know, what are, what are some other practical things a coach can do to really – oh, I know what I was going to ask you actually was what about writing like a vision statement? I have a vision statement for our program, and, and I'm decently satisfied with it, although I think I'm going to be changing it up some to make it easier and more simple for the, for the players especially to cling on to. Do you, have, do you have some advice as far as a vision statement and, and especially advice in regards to presenting it to the people who are doing the hiring at a job you might be applying to? 
Yeah, I think that that is real important. It's It's got to be, in some ways, it has to be, um, uh, what am I trying to say? It, it's got to be, have some flexibility to it mm-hmm. because you, you can't have a vision statement that you're taking into a, a, uh, a you know, just any program and have it be totally uh, applicable to that program per se, you know? Yeah. But when, when I was, when I was young, when I, when I was sitting in a room one night, uh, my, my head coach who I worked for told us that he was leaving, he was leaving the state to go start a program in a, in another state. And he'd been recruited to go do this. And, and he was real excited, you know, uh, to go out and, and start this program. And so I sat there that night, you know, going, man, that's a job I, I would love to have, but what is my, you know, what does my program look like? And so I just, I kind of jotted down, you know, the four P's that I want a positive experience for my players. I want it to be a player centered environment, not a coach centered environment. I want to make sure that our kids are protected. So uh, protection of health was one that we have coaches who are, you know, certified in all the right ways. And they're going to put the protection of kids above playing time and winning. And then my fourth P was public perception that, that our program would, when we walked into a restaurant for a pregame meal, you know, and, and then we left that we left that place better than we, we found it. And so the perception of our football program in public, and then a perception of our school out in public is, man, that's a that's a great program. That that's a that those are some fine young men who just came into this establishment, you know. So that if if somebody's wearing a football jersey or a football shirt in town with my program emblazoned on it, they're out doing the right things. And so for me, I scratch those down on a hotel, uh, you know, notepad. The, the four P's: positive experience, player-centered environment, protection of health, and public perception. And, and it just, that's kind of been my, my vision, you know, since 2002, that night in the hotel room at at a couple different jobs, I've, I've had two different head coach jobs, you know, since then. And and, and that was my, my vision that I cast in those interview rooms. And so again, I would just, you know, I, I would sit down and say, what's important to me as a, as a person, as a head coach and, and, you know, how can I verbalize that in a, in an easy way, a short way, you know, that's going to be easy for me to explain in an interview process, you know, that, Hey, my program's going to be known for boom, 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 you know, that, that you're able, because you're right. There are so many guys who, and I've interviewed the guys, you know, what's your program about? And so, you know, I think in the business marketing world, they call it, you know, your elevator pitch that, yeah, you should be able to pitch and explain your business in an elevator ride, you know. And so, uh, for me, it became the four P's, and it's easy to explain that in a, in a two-minute uh, interview answer. So, yeah, coaches should definitely be able to sit down and and put that together. And again, those four P's, it doesn't matter if you're going in to interview for the best job in the state or the worst job in the state, you know, pot getting your players to have a positive experience, having a player centered environment, protecting the health and public perception. That's those four things. Administrators are going to love those four, no matter what kind of community or culture you're going into. Yeah. Very good. I like that. Those are very simple, 
the alliteration is very helpful, keeps it simple as well and, and easy to remember. And uh, some some things, I, I guess, I, some questions I wanted to ask around some of that then, I guess, as you have been a head coach and as you have tried to be player-centered, I'd, I'd really like to hear some of the things you've done on a real practical level to help make sure it's player-centered because I think you'd agree with this. I think most of the coaches listening would agree. That's about the only way to get successful these days and to be to, to keep kids motivated is to make it player-centered. It's just the way that things function now, the expectation that they have. Um, so, so what are some ways that you've practically done that as a head coach, maybe, maybe even as the special teams coordinator, whatever roles it might be that you're doing that? Yeah, so the, the, the number one thing that I've done to really make sure that because I think if you have, if, if as a coach and a leader, if you're able to create an environment that players want to be a part of, and that's where I say player-centered, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to help your program maintain that longevity. You think about, like, the strong tradition of the Miami Hurricanes, my favorite football team. They went through a little spat, a little, you know, five, six years ago, but they're, they're set, that's a player-centered environment. When, when I really think about, you know, those guys – you know, especially like in the early 2000s when they were winning national championships, you know, at all these guys in the 80s and 90s were coming back on the sidelines. And, and that's the kind of program I grew up in, in my small little town, you know. And so one of the main things I've done to make sure we have a player center environment is through starting a player committee, you know. And so that's something, an idea I stole at a clinic from a college guy. And at the time, you know, 15, 16 years ago, not a lot of high schools were doing that. But I'd have four seniors, three sophomores. I'm sorry, four seniors, three so- three juniors, two sophomores, and a freshman as a part of this player committee. And I would meet with them uh, every every other week during the off season, starting in January. So we'd meet two times a month, and we'd go through a leadership book, a different type of leadership book every year. And, and those kids, they help to determine our calendar. They help to determine uh, what we're wearing. You know, our, we call them spirit packs here in Southern California. You know, the, the, what kind of logo is going to be on those spirit packs? What, what's our theme for the year? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they help to determine all of that stuff. What kind of fundraising do you guys want to do this year? What do you want to raise funds for? Obviously, as a coach, we, we, we direct some of that stuff. We think, hey, we got to go out and get a sled, you know. But if the kids come up with other ideas, hey, we'd love to go to the beach for a team bonding thing. Okay, it's going to cost you guys this much. You really want to raise funds for this, you know. So being able to put out there, uh, let the kids make decisions that don't really matter, you know. We, right. For instance, one of the things that came back after my first year at a school I worked at, uh, we went to Sizzler for like, I think they'd done that for eight or nine years. They, they went to Sizzler as their pregame meal. Well, my first year after being, after my first year as a head coach there, uh, we were talking about, uh, so another thing I do is surveys. I survey all the kids. Every single football player at the end of the year takes a survey. And that's an anonymous survey they do on a computer. I do it through SurveyMonkey. Yep. And you get you get tremendous results you, back you from do. that stuff. Inside. We do that too, and I was yeah. I was blown away. Yep. good. Yeah. And so again, that's making it a player centered environment. So then what I do is I'll spend two meetings going pouring over all the results of that with the player committee. 
one of the things that came up was that our kids hated going to Sizzler. And so <laughs> That's funny. I never knew that. Yeah. They never said one thing to me, but they said, Coach, this steak like sits in our stomachs. We all got to go crap at halftime. Yeah. And it, it, weigh, it weighs us down. And the environment there is just cold and it's not getting us. It's all a bunch of old people. And it's like, so I was like, I had no idea. So we switched it up the next year. The kids loved it. That's so funny. I, I could care less where we go have a pregame meal. Right. I'd rather them be in a good state of mind, you know? Yep. So, um, so, so there were things like that. Or, you know, we, when they said, hey, we, one of the questions I have on the survey is, you know, did we remain focused on our theme this year? Uh, and, and if the, the player of the team says, no, you know, we kind of got away from our theme and our mission this year, then I'll take that back to our player committee. Where'd, where'd we miss the mark? And so having a player committee for me just really helped to drive a lot of decisions for the program. There were times when, you know, a kid broke a, you know, had a major team violation. We'd pull the player committee together after practice and say, Hey, you know, uh, what what should we do here with this? And uh, it's amazing. I think that kids are harder on each other uh, than coaches are. You know, yeah, they're harder on each other uh, than administration is sometimes. So, and again, it's all that's a good thing because it's part of the culture and, and accountability that you you know you've built in your team. Yeah, that's good, and I and I think that those are important things to recognize. That the things that maybe don't make a huge difference to an adult who has been there, done that, especially to a coach. Like coaches are ready on Friday night, regardless. They've got their way of being ready to go, et cetera, et cetera. But the kids, some of those little things that we might not see as big a deal, uh, are very important and can really make a difference. And and connecting with them and letting them make some of those choices is a great, great way to do that. The other thing, one of your other P's that I really wanted to ask about is the um, the public perception, and I think that's so important. I want our program to be well thought of, like you talked about earlier. Are there some practical things that you have done, are doing, et cetera, to um, really make sure that those who are on the outside have a, a positive perception of what you're doing, what you're all about, and how you're going about it? You know, I, I think it just goes back to, to teaching these young men uh, as simple as manners, yeah. you know, opening the door for, for another person, you know, uh, saying please and thank you. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you're in the Midwest. It's a, it's a lot different out there, but you know, here in Southern California, it, it's amazing how many manners just these kids aren't learning at home. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm talking the, the most basic stuff you can think of, you know? And then, like I said, when we go out for a pregame meal, you know, we make, I, I tell the waiters and waitresses, you know, hey, we're going to bust our own tables. Just get me a couple of tubs out here. We can put everything in. And, you know, they're shocked by that kind of attitude. I mean, it's yeah. so counterculture, you know. Yeah. And so just teaching kids to serve others. Yep. Uh, you know, and that's teaching them those lifelong lessons, you know. to Like, for instance, in setting up the field, my expectation is when we, when the coaches come out to the field, uh, you know, that, that it's ready to go, that all the balls are in certain places, you know, all the, the bags are on the, are, are on the sled, the bags are on the tackle pop-up maker, you know, and the kids kind of, they, they know how to set up the field. And, and uh, you know, as I'm having a little pre, pre-practice meeting with my coaches, because we got a lot of walk-ons here in SoCal, 
you know, they're just pulling up from their job. So I'm going over the practice schedule with them or whatever. And the kids are starting to do some pre-practice and set things up. My player committee is in charge of that. Um, but who I hold accountable is if that if that field's not set up ready to go because there are days the kids just want to sit around and you know talk and BS or whatever and, and and if that field's not ready to go when we blow that whistle for practice I hold my seniors and my seniors on my player committee those four guys mm-hmm. those are the guys doing doing push-ups and and maybe you know doing a little bit of extra physical work because we weren't ready to go yeah and then you know, what's going to happen the next day, those four are going to be out there ready to go getting that field going. So, and again, that teaches, you know, leadership skills we want these guys to have for life. Good. Yeah, that's, that's great. I really appreciate that. And, and uh, just the, the emphasis there on the service and on the, the taking ownership and, and doing things that, that make a big difference uh, out in the community and within your own program as well. Well, Coach, we're, we're rounding the corner towards getting near an hour's worth of time, and I want to respect your time. And so I guess <clears throat> one of the things I've been doing kind of wrapping up is to just open it up for you to share anything that you kind of, as you read through my questions and things and, and uh, the potential things we might talk about, was there anything on there that you thought, I really want to share this, it's been really successful for us, or I've seen it work really well somewhere else, or or maybe even, here's a big mistake I made, don't do this. Uh, is there anything that I haven't mentioned and I haven't brought it up that you think really should get shared um, in light of all the things that you've seen in terms of prepping for this interview? Oh, great. That's a tremendous question. You know, I, I think, uh, and yeah, my, my bell for first period is about the ring. So, uh, yeah, I, I can, we, we could probably talk for a couple hours. I, I really appreciate this time here, but you know, I would say, um, I, you know, I guess one thing to kind of leave it, don't, don't do this, or this is where I really failed. I would say, um, it's in the, that Owen 10 season I had, I talked about a little earlier, you know, uh, we had just this perfect storm of, an amazing schedule where four of the teams we played won, you know, what are called CIF champions out yep. here, championships. And it was just a perfect storm of a lot of things. Uh, but one thing that, that I, where I really failed that year was allowing, uh, putting winning above all these things I've been talking about, you know, the interview talk, the four P's, my players that year, they could have had a better experience if, if I handled that, all that losing better. But it's like we're gripping so hard for a win that we put winning above what's best for our players. I was cranky, you know, and then that that went down to our coaches. So teaching our kids those life skills that we wanted them to have forever, um, you know, the public perception I referred to, all that stuff kind of took a back seat because we were so focused on man, we want to go win a stinking game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I'd say that's a lesson I learned that year without a doubt. I mean, things at home were tough. You know, I had a, a new new baby, and yeah. it's like I came home grouchy. <clears throat> so every phase of my life that year, 2008, I mean, every phase was bad because I wanted to win so much. <laughs> and it's like now we're sitting here, you know, nine years later, who who gives a rip you right. know i mean <laughs> yeah. but there's there's kids who i had you know fractured i fractured relationships with kids that year that probably you now that would be stronger today if i had treated them differently hmm. uh even a, a coach i can think of you know who who approached me at about 0 and 6 and said 
dude, you're way different than you were last year. It was his second year coaching with me, you know, and he, he met with me one-on-one in my office and said, man, you got to lighten up, refocus, take a breath. And I, I kind of blew him off, you know, oh, you're a rookie coach, you know, whatever, you don't get it. And so, you know, even an assistant coach relationship that was fractured that year hmm. that, uh, you know, I would probably have today still if I was able to look at it, you know, more, you talk about like that 30,000 foot view, you know, yeah. um, man, these wins and, and shoot in four years, nobody's going to really care that you were 0-10, uh, you know, but those kids and those coaches will still know you. And so I would say that would be my last encouragement today here. You know, when things really start unwinding, uh, I, I did a bad job of managing that, you know, without a doubt. So, yeah, very good. Appreciate that honesty. And <clears throat> I think we can all look back and have those moments as well. Just to close real quick, coach, where are some places that people can connect with you? Obviously your website, your business, mention those things real quick, and then we'll turn you loose and let you get the teaching for the day. Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, at Coach4, F-O-R-E, at Coach4. And then I've kind of got two different websites. One's my consulting, my business is 8laces, E-I-G-H-T-L-A-C-E-S.org. And then I've got a website, a kind of a blog with 400 articles on it at uh, Coach4, C-O-A-C-H-F-O-R-E.org. So those are the, the three main places. And anything I can do. Uh, to help anybody listening today, please, please let me know. Yep, and I and I can vouch for that. You've, you've got some good stuff, and we've used it in our program, and I've used it in my individual coaching career. So thank you very much for your time, Coach, and really appreciate you being on, and thank you for all the insights and the honesty and just, just good stuff. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity again. Have a good day, Coach. Bye-bye. Big thank you to Coach for. Uh, for all that he does, not only for his own players, but for all that he does for us as coaches. He's well known in a lot of circles, doing a lot of things to further our profession and help us all to be better as coaches and as men. Just a reminder that the Culture Coordinator is a lot more than just a Twitter account or a podcast. It's also a website, culturecoordinator.com, with lots of free resources and also a membership for just $5 a month that unlocks the entire system for installing your culture in your program. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll get another one out here for you guys soon. Thanks for all you do. doing.